Dr. Rebecca Hall is a licensed clinical psychologist in Idaho. She and her husband, Jeff, who is also a psychologist, have three children, two boys and a daughter. Their youngest child was born with CMV or cytomegalovirus. Rebecca is hoping to be a source of encouragement to moms with kids who have disabilities. And she blogs regularly at keepondancinglife.blogspot.com. This is Parenting Reimagined, a place where the conversation goes beyond what we do as parents, and we take the time to consider what parenting teaches us, how it transforms us, and what being parents means for the landscape of our inner lives. I am Sherry Walling. Would you begin by introducing yourself and saying a bit about your family? I'm Rebecca Hall. I'm married to Jeff Hall. We are both psychologists in the Boise area. We have three kids. Liam is seven, Ronan is almost five, and Kira is now five months old. And what do you enjoy most about being a mother? I think what I enjoy most is just my kids surprising me having them do things or come up with things that you would never, you just could never imagine. I remember being pregnant with my second. I I worried about how am I ever going to love this kid as much as I loved the first one because I just have this enormous amount of love for my first child. And, you know, everyone says that that really isn't an issue. And it's so true. You, you, you grow this amazing ability to love each of your kids equally and you cannot comprehend how they can be so utterly different yet completely lovable in a whole new person and then again with your third child or however many kids you have and it's really fun to see just today my son Ronan who's still four was telling me about who he's in love with (laughs) and I just thought that was the funniest thing coming out of his mouth. And then Kira has surprised me lately by developing this wonderful musical laughter. And, you know, these things that I don't expect to happen, happen. And I love that. That's amazing. Sounds like it's also been fun to watch the expansion of your own heart. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> So your your youngest daughter, your youngest child, Kira, was born with CMV. Would you say a little bit about what that is for people who may not know? Sure. I think most people are going to know in the next couple of years if they don't know now because so much is happening in that world. CMV stands for cytomegalovirus, and it's kind of like the common cold. Most of us have had it, and we don't know that we've had it. If we've had symptoms from it, because a lot of people carry it and don't even have symptoms, if we've had symptoms from it, it's mostly like a common cold or or flu-like symptoms that you have. So it's passed most commonly among children, you know, daycare centers and stuff. You go into any class full of three-year-olds and probably 80% of the kids in there have it and you just don't know it. So generally, it's not that big of a deal unless you contract it for the first time when you're pregnant And then even worse is if the 
fetus contracts it from the pregnant mom, which again is an even less likely thing to happen, but is what happened in my case. And in that case, it's it's bad because the child is infected with this virus and it it gets in the way of their normal development. And so kids that are born with CMV, the biggest thing that you hear about is them being at really high risk for for hearing loss, blindness, cerebral palsy, mental retardation, autism. So some pretty severe disabilities that can come from this virus. Mm-hmm. So, what has that meant for Kiara? Well, it's a big question mark. The outcomes of kids with congenital CMV, they call it CCMV, is a huge spectrum. You could have children who really don't seem to have any problems at all, or you could have people who who die from it, or people who have severe manifestations in terms of cerebral palsy and such. She was born with most of the risk factors, really, for some of the most severe things to happen to her. We were told before we left the NICU, we got an MRI, and her brain essentially is just quite a bit smaller than it should be. And so we were told to expect there to be severe cognitive delays and physical handicap. It's just kind of a wait and see. We have her in a lot of therapy. We go to a lot of doctor's appointments. She is definitely developing more slowly and differently than my other children, but she's also making gains. It's kind of a tough thing because... A lot of times, you know, people ask how she's doing, and I say she's good, and I kind of fear that people will assume that means everything's okay now. You know, we were scared there at the beginning, but everything's okay, and that's really not what it means. We're okay in a sense that we're we're getting used to the idea, and we're, we're you know, this is our new normal. But when I say she's doing good, it means in light of everything. It doesn't mean that she's going to walk, and she's going to talk, and that she's going to graduate from college. It doesn't mean any of those things. It means we're not in the ICU today. (laughs) Yeah, good takes on a new meaning. Yeah, yeah. I know just from reading your blog that these past few months have been quite an emotional roller coaster. How are you coping? (laughs) I don't know how to answer that question. I think, you know, what do I compare it to? You do what you have to do as a mom. And, you know, people look at me and they feel sorry for me or don't know how they would do it. And I was in that same situation six months ago. I never, never would have wanted to be in this position or thought I could handle it. I figure I will fall apart somewhere down the line. I think, gosh, I don't know how I'm doing as well as I'm doing. (laughs) This is going to hit the fan at some point. All in all, all things considered, I'm doing pretty well. One thing that I had really this profound insight soon after she was born. And that was that I was faced with something that I really don't know how to do. And I can't do on my own. And I just decided I'm going to let people be a part of my life and of her life in a way that they've never been before. And I'm going to embrace the community and I'm going to have people help us. And gosh darn it, everybody's going to know who my daughter is because I don't want her to grow up and, you know, be this weird person that people see around town and they don't know a thing about her. Because, I I mean, the one thing I do know is that people who are disabled or seem weird or for whatever reason, they, they do so much better if people know who they are. Otherwise, people just look away and try to not notice them because they're kind of a spectacle. And I 
the only thing I can think is that I don't want that for my kid. And so I'm going to bring everybody in. (laughs) Uh, So one thing that you're doing is sharing your story, sharing her story with mm -hmm. as many people as care and are interested. Yeah. So I never would have thought I would be a blogger, (laughs) but I have been doing that. And knowing that people read it really feeds me. And knowing that people know about her really helps me. And then beyond that, just just embracing my community here and letting people be a part of my life and bring us food or take my boys out for playdates or clean my house or whatever it is that I can have to have them help us out. I'm doing that in whatever way I can in a way that I never would have been able to do before. And I think that's part of the reason that I'm doing as well as I'm doing. My husband and I are careful to keep our marriage sacred and we try to continue to go on dates and things like that, no matter what's going on, always making time for ourselves. And I've been working out probably more diligently than I ever have in my life, realizing I better not get sick. (laughs) I don't know what would happen. And cutting some things out of my life that that are kind of difficult for me. I've done some teach some teaching at the dance studio for the last few years, and I really love that. But it takes a lot of mental energy for me, and so I've decided not to do that this year. And that's a hard decision, but it's taking care of myself and helping myself cope. What have been some of the most difficult challenges over the past five months? I know that's a big question, given that you've spent a lot of time in the NICU and... Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's funny, the two things that come to mind. The first is probably the first 48 hours of her life, when we were learning what was going on with her, when we were learning what CMV was and what the outcomes looked like, trying to wrap my head around what that meant and being just utterly scared. I think a part of me thought if I was a psychologist and if I worked with kids like this, I wouldn't have to get any closer than that ever. Because as much as I love doing the work that I have done, you know, with kids that have disabilities or um, I do a lot of diagnostic workups and I talk to parents a lot about how to parent these kinds of children, I never wanted to be that parent there was not a single one that I envied or thought, you know, I want to be like you. And so mm-hmm. I didn't, I did not have a picture in my head to save my life of, of how I was going to turn out where I would still like myself. It's all about Even me. <laughs> well. And that's been the funny thing. That's been the funny thing. It's really true because Kira is just Kira and she's probably going to be happy regardless because she doesn't know the difference. The reason this is so hard is because of all of our socially constructed ideas of what's normal. The hardest thing is that it's messing up, messing up (laughs) in quotes, my life or Jeff's life and our plans or what we thought was going to happen, what we thought she was going to be. And that that's been the hardest thing to embrace and to figure out. And so there was that that initial fear and not being just not wanting this to happen to us and not being able to picture a good scenario and how this was going to work out. I think it's amazing and probably God given that that period of time only lasted honestly a day or two before I started really feeling this peace. I don't know this belief. It could be okay. 
The other thing, if I the other thing that came into mind seems silly in comparison, but navigating social services, getting Medicaid, getting disability, getting social security income, food stamps, you know, all these things I would never have to be doing. Integrating that with our current you know, income and current insurance plans and and all these things. It's a part-time job just trying to get those things done. Being a mom who's fairly savvy about how the system works, being pretty self-sufficient and independent in terms of, of doing this paperwork and stuff like that, it was hard. It was very hard. And so I don't understand how most people that have to do that stuff get through it. It's really frustrating. So there was that initial kind of existential realization that you're life as a family or your life as a mother was not going to be the way that you thought it was going to be. And then there was this wave of headaches and administrative tasks and paperwork and bureaucracy that came. So you've had to deal with both these really, really big questions and then these daily stressors that are also formidable. Yeah. What have been the sweetest or best memories of these past months with Kira? Oh, man. One of the problems is that she's small and she's not growing as quickly as she could. But every mom wishes their baby would stay small for longer and stay cuddly for longer. (laughs) And I've had that. I still have that. Um, Just a lot of time to be in that stage where you get to just cuddle and hold him and carry him around and love on him and we get that for an extended amount of time with her, which is fun. It's been really fun watching my boys with her. They don't really seem, I don't think they're really, unless she's in the hospital, they're not really phased by her having any kind of problem or, or disability, at least not yet. And they just, they're just very proud of her and cover her with kisses. And it's been really touching for me to see how interested other people are and really care about us and will pull together to help us out. Um, And then it's just been, you know, it seems kind of cliche because you read, or I have been doing reading now about parents that have children with disabilities. And they, a lot of them talk about how it's this blessing and how it's a gift and how every milestone that your child makes is that much sweeter. If you had said that kind of stuff to me the first couple days, I would have just wanted to throw up. (laughs) But it makes sense. I mean, I I wrote in my blog recently about how we brought Kira home from the hospital. And she previously had only had this, she didn't, she's had some oral motor issues. And so she didn't know how to cough. And she didn't really know how to laugh. When she would try to laugh, she'd just do this little, like little cough sound. And that was it. When we got home from the hospital, I don't know what happened, but she had figured out how to cough and she lit up with the most beautiful smile and just a real like gleeful laugh that was just, it would just, well, it takes my breath away anyway. Yeah. How has having a child with a disability changed the way that you mother? That's a twofold question. One is the, how I mother her differently, I suppose, than I mothered the other babies. But then the other is how I mother my boys. And I'll start with that. Sheesh, I don't necessarily like the changes. I really, really, really want to be spending more time with both of my boys. (laughs) And 
they just don't get to be the priority and I don't have a choice in that. So that's hard. But I'm letting, again, I'm bringing in the community and letting them help care for us. And so they've had lots of play dates and they've had lots of special times with grandparents that they probably wouldn't have had otherwise. And they're, and they're fine. <laughs> it's harder for me. Again, it's all about me. <laughs> it's harder for me than it is for them. They're happy. They're well-behaved and they're well-adjusted as far as I can tell. <laughs> I don't stress the small stuff quite as much. You know, I used to always pick out the boys' clothes before bed and they had to wear certain things and I would never let them wear this or that or the other to school. And last Sunday, Ronan wore... Or maybe it wasn't Sunday, but uh, we went out somewhere and he was wearing sweatpants and a racing shirt, you know, that high tech, like running fabric and his cowboy boots. (laughs) And I never in the past, I would have never let that fly. And I just thought, whatever, who cares? (laughs) I didn't have to get him dressed. He's happy. That's all that matters. So, you know, letting letting those kinds of little things go. How have you talked with your sons about Kira's illness? So I guess we weren't really sure how to approach it in the beginning. We just said that she was really sick. She was sick in mommy's belly and she had to be in the hospital a while after she was born. And, you know, that sat with them just fine. And then we brought her, when we brought her home, we said, you know, she was developing a little differently from other babies. And we were worried that she, if she got sick again, that she'd have to go back into the hospital. And so we had to be really careful about, you know, washing her hands all the time and things like that. Bless his heart, Liam, every single night before bed would pray that Kira wouldn't get sick because he didn't want her to go back to the hospital. So we, we never really talked to them a whole lot about the ins and outs of what CMV is or anything like that, but I've never hid anything from them. And I talk to other people about it all the time in front of them. And so I think Liam, my oldest in particular, has gotten a better idea of what all is entailed. And he actually recently has said, so is Kira going to be kind of like the kids that you work with at your office, mom? (laughs) And I said, yeah, she might be. You know, I work with all kinds of kids at my office, so that doesn't say much. But he he gets the idea that there's something different about her, that she may struggle in some ways. And they see, like, we have an occupational therapist that comes to the house, and we have doctor's appointments with her a lot. And they know that it's a big deal, but they kind of take it in stride. You don't get the sense that they're worried about it. No, like I said, you know, they would pray that she wouldn't get sick so she didn't have to go to the hospital. But even this last time when we were in the hospital, (laughs) at one point, I was talking to Liam and I said, I'm sorry, the doctor said that she's going to have to be here a few more nights. And he said, yes, (laughs) because that meant he got to stay at Grandma Janie's for a few more nights. And he gets to do a lot of fun things with Grandma Janie. (laughs) It was all good. You wrote um, a blog post that I enjoyed a couple months ago. I think it was something about like 10 things that have changed in you mm-hmm. since Kira was born. Would you talk about some of those? <laughs> One of them is that I, I erased my to-do lists. <laughs> when Kira was born, 
not long after Kira was born, I erased or deleted my to-do lists that were on my phone. That's a big deal because I don't just have one to-do list. I usually have a to-do list for home and a to-do list for work and, you know, a list of things I would like to do with the kids. A long-term to-do list, all sorts of, it's kind of neurotic, really. After she was born, I was just reading through that list at one point and thought, this is ridiculous. You know, the stuff that's really important, I'm going to remember. And I just deleted it. I think that was kind of profound. I've gone back to creating to-do lists again. But when I start putting things on there, like, don't forget to shave your legs, then I know it's just me getting anxious and I need to put it down. (laughs) Just symbolized that it was just a new day in your life. Just time to start over and reconceptualize how life works. Exactly. I'm more cognizant now that when I'm getting just anxious, you know, my life is getting too full. My to-do list starts growing and it's unnecessary. The other thing that on that list that was kind of a big deal was that I started to care more about politics. Tell me about that. Well, I remember, for example, after the Newtown shooting, I was listening to the publicity about that, and I was just incensed about how all of the talk was turning into politics about gun control, which I thought was completely misdirected, because in my opinion, I feel like talking about gun control is too little, too late. We need to work on prevention and mental health care and these kinds of things, and just feeling so sad for the state of our country, and I think I just never before had gotten riled up about that kind of stuff. It could just kind of fly in the background, but I actually was having an emotional response to those things. Around the same time, our school district, who's been in big financial trouble over the last few years, dropped their after-school busing to the after-school programs like Boys and Girls Club and Salvation Army and a couple of other places like that. They had to drop it because of funding. It just made me sick to my stomach thinking about all those kids that aren't going to, that need those services that aren't going to be able to go to those services now. And just getting me thinking about things that go into getting that funding done. And It's almost like this experience has kind of ushered you into the challenges of hurting families or the challenges of kids who are needing support and services In a new way. Yeah. And how hard it is to get services. You know, we talked about the bureaucracy of Social Security and all that. It's not easy. I'm not ashamed to say that I'm a very strong advocate for my daughter, in part because I have a lot of background about what all this is about. And so, unfortunately, a lot of kids in similar situations don't have parents that can be advocates that are that strong for them. And and again, if it's that hard for me to get services going, what about them? I think also, now that we're talking about it, since she's been born, I feel my own limitations more strongly. You know, usually when your child is born, I would guess you're not thinking about when you die and what's going to happen to your kids. I immediately was wondering about Kira and who's going to love her when I'm not there anymore. And when Jeff's not there anymore and what a burden for my boys to have to worry about her if that's what it comes to. When I hear about people who need services not being able to get them, I I guess it just really hits home now. 
I mean, I'm just reflecting on what you're saying and, and also realizing that you've been working in this field for a long time. These stories aren't new to you about people who need services who can't get them. I mean, that's kind of our experience in mental health care in the last, I don't know, 10, 15, however many years. It took on new life for you when it was your family and your daughter and your life. Oh, it sure did. And then it made me feel guilty for not caring that much previously. It made me feel like whether it's warranted or not, it made me feel like I've been a hack job of a psychologist acting like I cared about these kids because now I know what it really feels like to care. (laughs) It made me feel bad. Do you think it's changed who you are as a psychologist? Now that you're back at work? Definitely. I think I'm still sorting out how it's changed me exactly. I'm sure it's going to be big, but I don't exactly know how yet. In terms of work at this point, I'm really still just trying to get by. I'm still hoping to make a little bit of extra money, but mostly wanting to be at home with Kira. But one thing, the one thing I do know that's changed is just the practicalities. Because now I have had to navigate the system and I have gotten to know neonatologists and specialists in all kinds of areas, different kinds of therapists and programs available in the area and how to access them. I'm passing some of that information on to almost everybody I meet in terms of when I do intakes or, or recommendations. I'm passing along a lot of that information that I know is going to, if they follow through on it, that that information could be helpful to them. So I feel like I have a lot more practical resources that way. But I think the, re- the rest is, has yet to be seen. Yeah. So how has being a mother shaped the way that you view God? I'm asking this more broadly, not necessarily just about Kiara, but how has mothering shaped the way that you view God? It seems weird to say, but I don't know that it's changed the way that I view God, but it has changed the way I view my own faith. I always, in the back of my mind, questioned whether I was doing Christianity correctly. I even remember in graduate school, we had to write an integration paper about how we put our theology or our faith and psychology together, how those things entwine. And I wrote about this personal struggle that I've had with growing up in a conservative church, but being interested in psychology, which seemed like this questionable science And so I felt like maybe I'm pushing the edges a little bit too much by being interested in that. And also growing up being a dancer and being involved in a pretty conservative church, you you don't dance in the church. So always having my parents really lifting me up and making me feel like I'm okay. But in the back of my mind, just because of some of those messages in the church thinking, oh, I, I wonder maybe what if. What if I'm not doing this right? What if this isn't really what God wants me to do and I'm not understanding him? After Kira was born, I just really had a sense that I'm okay. (laughs) That I'm good with God and that he's good with me. And the way that I am living my life and engaging in my faith is, is enough. And that's been hugely encouraging. And I think will help me to be a better encouragement to other people because I've just got more confidence now. I just felt like if I wasn't grounded in my faith, if I really wasn't in tune with God, I would not be doing as well as I am. My marriage would not be thriving in this circumstance. 
and it is. And I'm really, really thankful. And I think that that's God. Yeah. So it sounds like almost instantly after Kara was born and that sense of guilt or doubt about yourself as the right kind of person of faith just dissipated. Mm-hmm. And you realized that there is this presence of God in your life that's fueling your ability to walk through this. Mm-hmm. And that had always been my hunch before that I had that. and But this really made me feel like, oh, yeah, I'm not. This is for real. <laughs> I'm not just saying that to make myself feel better. It's because I wouldn't be doing as well as I am if it weren't for that. There's no way. I I don't have that strength in me. But you feel it in this deep place now that's unquestionable for you. Yes. What do you hold on to when you feel discouraged? What is there a word or phrase or something that you repeat to yourself when you are having a low moment? It occurred to me, even before Kira was born, it occurred to me that I could always sum up my prayers in three words. I have this kind of mantra now. (laughs) And those words are peace, courage, and wisdom. Give me peace, give me courage, give me wisdom. Those three words do it in, in any situation. There's a lovely simplicity to that. Yeah. So looking forward, this might be hard to do at this point, but looking forward, what do you hope for your daughter? Oh, I want her to be able to walk. If she can walk, she can dance. (laughs) I think that'll just open a lot of doors for her if she has that. And I'm hopeful that she will. I would guess that she will have cerebral palsy, but I'm pretty hopeful that she'll have she'll have a considerable amount of movement. It's the same thing with her speech. I would guess that she'll have some speech problems, but I'm pretty hopeful that she will speak because she already makes quite a few sounds. I want people always to love her really is the biggest thing, and that's where my blog comes from. I have this ache for people to know her and to love her as much as I do. So that when she walks into church or she walks down the street, people will be comfortable enough with her to come up and say hi and ask how she's doing or be willing to take care of her when I'm older, if that's what needs to happen. Of course, I would love this to all be okay and for her to go to school and graduate from high school and go to college and get married, but I can't put my head there. That's not safe. (laughs) It's too, it's too unlikely. I had, I still do have a lot of friends saying that they're praying for miracles to happen. And I, what I tell them is, you pray those prayers for me because that would be great, but I can't pray for miracles. And what I mean is I have to be okay with where she is right now. And if I spend too much time praying that she's going to have an average IQ, (laughs) then it might be a lot harder for me to accept her where she is when she doesn't have an average IQ. One thing that's been interesting is that all these cliche phrases that you hear all your life, 
there's quite a few of them that really hit home all of a sudden now that I'm in this situation. And one of them is take it a day at a time. And I'm really learning to do that with her. Because if I think too far ahead, I just get worried and it's all unknown. I have no idea. And that's the terrifying thing about this. But if I take it a day at a time, I see the beautiful milestones that she's making and that she's learning and growing and she's a beautiful person. I have to stay there without looking too far in the future. How about for your sons? What are you hoping for for them? I want them to be happy. I want them to have good relationships. I want them to like themselves. I want them to stay in contact with their mama. (laughs) People always say that the little boys grow up and move away. (laughs) I want them to stay connected. Don't leave me. The basics, (laughs) they're important. It's amazing how we all kind of want the same things for our kids, those basics. Yeah, but it's not, you know, it almost seems trite saying it because you hear that all the time, but it's true. Yeah. How How about for you? What are you hoping for for yourself as a mother, as a professional? Gosh, I don't know. A lot of things are kind of on hold right now. I had... I've had some kind of lofty dreams of expanding my practice actually before Kira was born, expanding it into postnatal care for mothers and babies, (laughs) focusing primarily on attachment and early detection of various developmental problems. Right now, that sounds really hard. (laughs) Who knows? I mean, maybe five, ten years down the road, I'll feel like I'm even more cut out for that. My priority is to keep my marriage strong. I think for a while I was really hoping, hoping after Kira was born, hoping that she'd be able to grow up and at least move out of the house, be somewhat independent. It's growing on me that we might have her in the house forever and that 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 could be okay. I think taking it a day at a time, I don't have a lot of of lofty goals. Well, that's the the end of... The questions I've prepared, is there anything else that you want to say or anything that feels unfinished? Hmm. I guess just that even before Kira, I felt like being a mom, the change that it brings to a woman, at least for me, was a very profound thing. Um, And that was, I felt that way when I had Liam and he was a perfectly normal baby. The amount it it makes you look at who you are and second-guess everything that that you're doing because now you know that somebody else is watching you and you want them to be learning from you. And that whole process of, you know, when a baby is born, reorchestrating your life, reworking, you have to rework your marriage and how you communicate and, and your friendships, perhaps. It's, it's a huge thing that I think I didn't expect as a mom. Maybe I'm too introspective sometimes. <laughs> well, I'm right with you there. I, <laughs> I think sometimes this whole podcast is sort of my way of trying to sort through those huge transformations that I've experienced as a parent. And so I mean, the whole premise of these conversations is that this this endeavor of raising children is deeply transformative. Yeah. And I just keep hearing that over and over in lots of different ways. And, and I love it's big. 
that resonates with me and I love that. Well, thank you. I know it's getting late for you, so I'll let you go. <sighs> okay. I appreciate you. No problem. I appreciate you reading my blog. Cheering for you. Thank you. We're happy to have her home. Thank you for listening to this episode of Parenting Reimagined. If you like what you heard, visit our website, parentingreimagined.org, and sign up for our mailing list. You can also like us on Facebook. Thanks for taking the time to be part of this community of parents who's committed to learning the deeper lessons of parenting. 